As I approached the end of my career in wireless, I was calculating that over the last, well, 40 years, my weekly commute between the farm and Sydney studios, initially uh, commercial radio studios, and for the last 33 years, the ABC, I'd uh, break the trip, break the boredom of of the vast distances by slowing down and stopping for anyone I saw, raising a thumb in the hope of a lift. I had to give it up because I had a couple of, uh, well, problematic experiences. I I found that I was too often picking up uh, malodorous drunks and on one occasion, even more alarmingly, a raving bigot. This is in the past because these days it's very rare to see a hitchhiker on the side of an Australian road. Hitchhiking is against the law in some states and uh, universally discouraged by the cops. Now, the same is true across most of North America, where hitchhiking is generally regarded as a bad idea. But it was not always thus. In fact, in the early years of the automobile, Hitchhiking was considered an exciting, even virtuous form of travel. It was an opportunity to show generosity and good manners, while solidarity with fellow travellers. And in the 60s and 70s, the hippie movement took hitchhiking to a whole new level. So whatever happened to the untethered form of travel. Of course, uh, we all remember the high-profile murder cases and the horror movies, but there were perhaps other factors that contributed. Linda Mahood is a professor of history at the University of Guelph in Canada. Linda's the author of Thumbing a Ride, Hitchhiking, Hostelling and Counterculture in Canada. And Alice Garner is an historian, writer and actor. She's the president of the Oral History Victoria and a 2023 research fellow at that splendid institution, the National Library of Australia. Linda, I understand you were both... uh, Both of you were hitchhikers in your younger days. What are your earliest memories of hitchhiking? Probably similar to yours. I was born in 1960. I grew up in a house um, It was in the middle of two high schools. And there was never a time when I wasn't literally surrounded by a bunch of teenagers hitchhiking home from school. There wasn't a time when I didn't think or know that at some point I would travel that way. Um, again, I'm, I grew up in a, a reasonably small prairie city in, uh, in, in Canada, and it was really just the way that uh, young people got around. Any bad experiences? Um, the bad experiences uh, balanced out the good ones. You know, you never really knew who you were getting in a car with. And like most girls, I'd, I would travel with a friend. Uh, no, not really. I didn't have any bad experiences, but I certainly did have friends that did. And when I was doing my research, I found, um, I heard about many terrible experiences. Alice, as the child of two extraordinary parents, I guess hitchhiking was part of your childhood too. It was. My dad was a big hitchhiker. I don't think my mum hitchhiked so much, um, but my dad had done a lot of travelling around Australia and, you know, on, on the sort of hippie 
trail, the overland journey. Um, so he took me on my first memory of a hitchhiking trip was when I was five. He took me up to northern Queensland and I think hitchhiking felt normal. All the adults that I knew were doing it, but we were part of a sort of counterculture, I suppose. So that said, I don't think that they weren't the only people hitching. I think, you know, there were hitching stations at, at the uh, the newer universities, like at La Trobe, for example. I gather there was a hitching stop where students would go to pick up a lift. Hitching station sounds like a place you tie up a horse. Yeah, I guess that's where the language maybe comes from, yeah. <laughs> okay, Linda. Let's go back 100 years or so to the early days of the automobile in North America. How long was it before people started thumbing for rides? Um, I think it's probably easy to argue that the automobile begat the ride beggar. In the hitchhiking merged in tandem with uh, with motor cars. I mean, previously people had jumped on and off freight trains, uh, but uh, when cars were invented, there was a general feeling of excitement around a car. In the 1920s in Canada, only one in nine people, I think, had had a car that they that, that had ownership or partnership in some kind of car, and it was exciting to have a lift in a car. Um, one thing to keep in mind is that when we think of cars, they're private property. But cars drive on public roads, so the people own the road, and they indulge the uh, the motorist. And so people sort of had a feeling that they kind of had a right to uh, have a ride in one if they uh, if they needed a lift. There was a Good Samaritan Act about giving someone a ride in a car. Automobile ownership doubled in Canada in a very short time. Yeah, by 1960, they were they were uh, forecasting the three-car family as early as 1960. And my understanding too was early hitchhiking was very often done by women and children who wanted to get to the shops or to the beach or somewhere, you know. Um, so that was a surprising discovery for me when I started looking at, at the history. Linda, where does the term hitchhiking first appear? They say it's an American term, but I certainly saw it in, in the British literature as well. Um, again, it's associated with thumb begging, right? It's a, it's a ritual, right? Um, it, it's, a, it's a visual ritual. It's not secret like a prayer or a wish. You know, you put your finger up, it, the, thumb, the thumbs up is a symbol in our culture that seals the deal. It's a positive social act. You put your thumb out and a car will drive by. And if that driver feels like a good Samaritan that day, they will pull over and give you a lift. As opposed, of course, to the thumbs down, which was a, a symbol of cruelty on behalf of the uh, of Rome Caesar. So by the <laughs> 1930s, hitchhiking was quite a popular form of travel, particularly, as you say, for young people. It was uh, considered a healthy form of adventuring, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, I mean, in terms of theories of, of youth and childhood development, um, in 1904, G. Stanley Hall wrote a book called The Adolescent. And in that book, he argued that it was a natural, that children needed, that wanderlust, sowing wild oats, getting out, becoming 
uh, adventurous was a healthy part of growing up. And young people should be encouraged to get out and develop confidence. And again, hitchhiking was with traveling, uh, traveling around wanderlust was a need that restless youth had that needed to be harnessed. And let it be said that riders were expected to show a degree of gratitude, but no money changed hands. No, no, again, it, it's an act of charity, right? Um, you know, Judeo-Christian culture, liberal democracy, um, tolerance, trust and diversity, uh, doing a kindness for another is it was a social, socially positive act. The idea was that you don't ask for money. You don't ask for a meal. You don't ask to sleep over. You're only having a ride. And in exchange for that, you will listen to the driver's, you know, boring <laughs> conversation, smell their cigarette smoke, listen to their their uh, narrow views and not be critical. Right. It had to be that there's a give and take to uh, to any act of charity. Now, groups like the YMCA and the Young Communist League got involved in what was called adventure hitchhiking. That's right. We should also add, too, that some of the first hitchhikers were, were also Hitler youth, right? One of the first things that Adolf Hitler did when he came to power was create these fantastic youth hostel networks. And Wanderlust became part of uh, a part of sort of uh, creating uh, creating uh, patriotic youth. Right. So it's 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 left and right um, in terms of the values associated with it. And newspapers would celebrate young hitchhikers for their, well, their thrift and ingenuity or for covering particularly long distances. Oh, yes, Canadians, I'm sure Australians as well, were really excited by what a car could do. They were really excited by the distances that people could go for no money, particularly in the 1930s when people didn't have any money. The idea that you could get somewhere for nothing was something that was really applauded. And again, because roads were new, and initially you couldn't cross Canada by a highway without going through the United States. So people were really just excited to read about the adventures that um, people were having. Linda, by the 50s, references to hitchhiking in literature and telly were overwhelmingly negative. Why was that? Um, there was a couple of things that happened in Canada, and I imagine the social policy was similar in Australia. But um, in Canada, what starts to happen, first of all, is the car itself becomes inexpensive that you know most most work most working people could have some kind of old jalopy on the road um if they could get around with so not having a car particularly for men was seen to be slightly sort of a deviant thing in itself um but there was also some changes to um to the law when it came to treating people with mental illnesses. The big Victorian asylums were closing and people were being released from these institutions. And so suddenly this fear that uh, some crazy people were on the highways at night that didn't have it together enough to own a car, and that combined with some of the cinema noir movies with about ex-cons and 
hitchhiking femme fatales and, you know, murderous teenage gangs. I think they call them slum, thumb, thumb exploitation uh, movies that started to make the hitchhiker not someone, a nice kid from down the street, but sort of a, a, psych, a psychopath, right, a rambling psychopath. Alice, your researchers would remind us that journalists started uh, covering sexual assaults and other attacks on by on women in strangers' cars. Yeah, look, I think um, just going back to my second hitchhiking experience, which was at the age of 10, which would have been in 1979, uh, and I was travelling with a woman, a French woman in her 40s, um, I look back on that and think, gosh, that's extraordinary that even by then I think that was quite unusual for women and girls to be hitchhiking for all those reasons. I think that the, the, the sort of stories, there were enough stories in the press and beyond um, of sexual assault and rape and murder and all of those things um, to dissuade, you know, most people. And certainly later on in the 90s with the Ivan Milat um, terrible serial uh, murder of mainly European, I think, hitchhikers, um, really cast a pall on the practice here. But and, I think, and that's mm. why you wouldn't encourage or even allow your daughter to hitchhike these days. Yeah, look, I think the moment when I started looking into the history of hitchhiking was around the time when my daughter was approaching the age when I had done hitchhiking. I hadn't hitchhiked on my own. It had always been with an adult and when I was a child. But I did look at that and I thought, how is it that it felt possible then, but now that, you know, I'm a mother and I can't even imagine allowing my daughter to do this or, or to do it myself. So it did kind of raise that question of, of what has changed because, you know, I had a lot of very positive experiences of great generosity uh, from lift givers and most of my recollections were very positive ones, even though I knew that there were many true, terrible stories out there. Now, musicians like Dylan, Janis Joplin, Joan Baez, uh, Neil Young and uh, Joni Mitchell all uh, sang about freedom of life on the road. But that was sort of post the hippie movement, wasn't it? Yeah, I look, and I think that when when the numbers dropped of people hitchhiking, when that sort of culture uh, begins to disappear, you do feel less safe because if there's a community of people hitchhiking and the roads are lined with other hitchhikers and, you know, you arrive at a service station or, or a town and there are other hitchhikers around, people are kind of giving each other messages and warnings and there's a network and there's a kind of a... Quite sort of random support uh, network, I suppose, and and I think that when you've only got a few people hitchhiking, you f you know you feel alone and much less safe. So it kind of feeds on itself. It becomes a bit of a um, cycle. Canada's most glamorous ever prime minister in Pierre Trudeau, he was an enthusiastic proponent of the hitchhike, wasn't he? 
Oh, he sure was. He um, <laughs> just as the that that wave of baby boomers came of age, and they were responsible for getting him elected. Trudeau mania was starting to wane just about the time that uh, you, you could literally see, you know, fifty or a hundred hitchhikers out on the brand new, recently completed Trans Canada Highway, <laughs> and he was under pressure to do something to please young people. He'd promised to do all kinds of things, and he hadn't delivered, but. The one thing that he could do was in the summer of 1970, 1971-72, is he basically opened up the armories all across Canada. They weren't being used for the military anymore. So he opened up all these barracks and he made them into free youth hostels for Canadian young people. So you could literally hitchhike along the Trans-Canada Highway, which is this new <laughs> strip of highway, and have free bed and breakfasts along the way. Alice, one of the great disappointments in the Whitlam years was that he didn't do anything like that. <laughs> well, I wonder if he hitched at all. I, I can't see oh, it somehow. Off it. <laughs> <laughs> so, Alice, globally, the impact of the Malat uh, murders can't be understated, can it? It was international horror yeah, story. It really was. And it was a true horror story. I mean, you know, I think that's the thing. Anyone who starts to explore the history and the practice of hitchhiking can't afford to ignore the bad stuff. And, you know, I, I mean, in my own family, there is bad stories, um, but there are also wonderful stories. And I think trying to find that balance to, to, to recognise what was good or is good or can be good about it, but also to acknowledge that there are real dangers. Um, there are parts of the world where it's still pretty popular. I remember being in Ireland and everyone hitchhikes because the public transport system is completely stuffed and it was a pleasure to pick up, you know, wonderful Irish raconteurs and take them from place to place, often just doing their shopping. But I understand it's still uh, popular in... Uh, Old Eastern, uh, old Eastern Bloc nations like Bulgaria and even in Cuba. Yes, and I think, I don't know what the situation is now, but I know when I was looking into hitchhiking, it seemed that in Cuba, hitchhiking was really for the locals. If you were a, a tourist, you weren't supposed to hitchhike because uh, I think the idea was you could afford to, to pay for your transport. Um, but I, I understand also that in some countries, and I know this was the case in Poland, there was a, a government-endorsed voucher system so that if you um, – hitchhikers were given a kind of some sort of slip of paper and if they were picked up, they would give that voucher to the driver and the driver could exchange that, I think, for petrol. I think it was um, – so that it was actually being encouraged – Linda, could hitchhiking conceivably make a comeback? It would be, I would be surprised. Um, I think, again, like all forms of human behaviour, it's a ritual. And like any game, um, people cheat. People cheat at ritual. It, 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 people I interviewed, I interviewed almost 100 people who hitchhiked across Canada in the early 19, in the, in the decade of the 1970s. And most people found it was, again, a balance of probabilities. If you took, if you, if you hitchhiked enough, you would get a bad driver. 
you know, and eventually everybody would have their share of bad drivers and they balanced it against each other. Um, I met, I interviewed women who jumped out of moving cars. I interviewed a woman whose friend was murdered. Um, and in Canada, we have the phenomenon of missing and murdered Indigenous women. And again, there are highways um, where people didn't, People weren't hitchhiking for adventure and excitement as a rite of passage. They were people that were needed to get around. And it became it has become very dangerous. It's thumbs up to my guests. I've been talking to Professor Linda Mahood, author of Thumbing a Ride, Hitchhiking, Hostelling and Counterculture in Canada. And from Melbourne, Dr. Alice Garner, historian teacher, writer, musician, actor, heavens above, and president of Oral History Victoria and a 2023 research fellow at the National Library of Australia. ABCRN helps you understand the world. Find more of our stories on the ABC Listen app.